When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode is part one of two with my first interview with Rick Jones, who is now the senior assistant to the head coach at Missouri. This is one of my earlier episodes from the podcast in the first days of the podcast, and it's one of my favorites. And Rick Jones was somebody who I started to hear about as I did this podcast. I think I heard about him from a coach in Oklahoma, a coach in Michigan, and a coach in California, and they all said the same thing. You have to interview Rick Jones. This guy is very influential in coaching. So I was able to run down Coach Jones, and as I said, this really is one of my favorites ever. I've listened to it numerous times. I know after I recorded it, I listened to it when I was on a a trip to Indiana. And when I got to Indiana, I went back and listened again and took notes because there's so many good things in here on how you build a football team, how you coach players, just an incredible amount of insight into the game and coaching. Before becoming the senior assistant to Eli Drinkwitz at the University of Missouri, he was the head football coach at Greenwood High School in Greenwood, Arkansas. In his 31 seasons as a head coach, Rick posted an overall record of 317 and 74 with nine state championships and five runners up. He was named the 2012 National Coach of the Year. He was the 2018 AFCA Power of Influence National Coach of the Year. And he is an Oklahoma High School Coaches Hall of Fame inductee. Again, just an incredible coach. You will really enjoy this podcast with him. As I said, I found myself taking notes. So this is part one, and Coach really gets into some ideas behind how you coach players, and how you build culture. Coach Jones, welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Show. Hey, it's good to be here, Keith. Really appreciate you being on, Coach. You've been mentioned on several of our shows by some of our guests as being influential, so it's great to talk to you and learn more about you and and how you've become a coach and how you've developed as well. So let's get started with this one. What made you want to be a football coach? I'll tell you, it's a 
that that's a hard question. I just know that when I'm a second grader, uh, we drove by a playground and there's some kids out there playing football on a youth team or something like that. And I and I my brother and I jumped on our bikes, put our uniforms on, and ran down there and tried to let us play, and they wouldn't let us play because we were too young. But long story short, I remember the first day I went to practice, and that's in the third grade, and that's a long time ago long time ago and uh i just i love the game and i my plan was to uh play it i grew up in oklahoma played ou then get drafted by the cowboys be a star for the dallas cowboys and then go into coaching and then i figured out when i was in high school that nobody wanted me to be a player <laughs> even in college so i sort of directed my attention you know toward coaching but i was almost a magical mystical experience because i just I love the game of football from the first day I went out as a third grader, and I'm lucky in that I've done it for, I guess I've coached 38 years or so, and, and I still love it. So very, very fortunate. I feel very, very lucky to be able to make a living doing something I have a passion for. We tell our kids to do that all the time, but it's just it's difficult to find, and I've been very, very lucky. Yeah, for sure. Well, Coach, where did you get your uh, start in coaching? Um, I played I walked on at Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas. At that time, is NAIA. They're Division Two now, and uh, it's a it's a private church school. and And I walked on there and uh, played linebacker and defensive end. And then I got hurt my senior year. We had about 19 of us stayed up there in the summer. Uh, 19 of the seniors stayed up there in the summer. Our whole push was to win the championship. And uh, I got hurt my second day of practice. And at that time, our, the, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me because. Coach Proc said, well, Jones, you're going to be an offensive line coach. And I said, well, I don't know anything about it. He said, well, you'll learn if you want to be a coach. And so he stuck me with the offensive line coach, and, and I was his water boy and coffee grabber and whatever else it needed. Really is probably the best thing ever happened to me because I, I just sort of jumped in and started learning, and I said it foot of wise men and and learned and went to clinics and tried to figure out the best way to uh, be an offensive line coach and I'm really grateful there's a lot of guys that just don't have that background that I think it's really helped me throughout my coaching career to have that basic groundwork in the offensive line I coached at high school for about the first seven years so I GA'd at Harding for two years then I went to Dell City Oklahoma which is in the Oklahoma City area coached with a guy named Henry Manning then I went to uh, Putnam City West, coached for an awesome football coach named Mike Little. And then I went to uh, Edmond High School, and I worked for a guy named John Lance, who's probably the most influential coach that I had as a, as a young coach. But I was very, very lucky, and then I got a head coach job there at Edmond High School in 1986 and been very very fortunate i was there for four years and then went to uh, union high school in tulsa uh, missouri state with jesse branch uh, after after tulsa union then i was at broken arrow oklahoma for nine years before i got here to greenwood arkansas we've been this is our 13th year coach going back to how you got your start with the offensive line is that something you would recommend to a young coach to try to get into a position where you're learning really from that that viewpoint from that perspective oh absolutely i i, I consider it one of the best things that ever happened to me and i i told coach proc he's he's since passed but i've told coach proc how much i appreciated him doing that because it just opened my eyes up to a whole new world because i'd been a defensive guy uh, i played a little bit of tied in in high school but I'd been a defensive guy and I focused on the defense and it really helped I think when I sort of flipped it around 
and started working on the offensive side because I understood basically what the defense was doing. It gave me a good background as we now get into the spread offenses and, and all the different things that we're doing these days. I still have that fundamental background rooted in the O-line stuff, and it, it's probably not good for the offensive line coach that work with us because <laughs> I'm probably in their business a little more than I am some of the other guys, but it gives you a good foundation. And I, I know a lot of passing wizards and things like that. They start drawing up protections and zone blocking steps and things like that, and they just get stuck, and they, they don't have a good background, a good basic information and knowledge in the O-line, and I think it's just been a huge, huge advantage. So in that first job, right out of being a player, thrust into being a coach, what things did you learn that made an impact on your development? I think there's, there's a lot of things, and I ended up basically coaching my friends, which is, you know, what a GA does or a student coach, because I was a student coach the first year and a GA the second year. I think the main thing that you learn is that if you can learn some ideas and some techniques that will make people better, they'll listen to you. But until you have any kind of knowledge base or ability to make someone better, you really have no platform. And I think that's one of the things that you learn right off the bat is that if you have a message, if you have a, a, a way of, of talking to people that allows them to get better at what they're doing, you're going to have, obviously, you're going to have more success. Because I think a lot of times we get into bluster and theatrics and things like that. But what I tried to do is when I when I went over to the uh, offensive line, I just started listening to our coaches and watching film. And then you sort of expand from there and go to clinics and listen to great coaches like, at that time, Larry Bechtel at the University of Arkansas, Merv Johnson at the University of Oklahoma, guys like that, and just try to really learn the fundamentals and techniques of playing the position. So, Coach, as you continue through your career, what are some other things that you would you'd point to along the way as key to the way you've developed and the philosophy that you developed as a coach? Well, I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of ways you can take that question. I think the main thing that I would uh, say is I, I've not been interested in being in my title and uh, in basically money because once you get to, I mean, you have to have enough money to survive. But I think the, the key is that so many guys in the high school levels will make decision based on five or ten thousand dollars when really when it boils down to it it's not a life-changing amount of money now when you start talking about hundreds of thousands and things like that it's different but i think i wouldn't worry a lot about the money if it was close and the other thing is is i i wouldn't worry about titles i've never been a coordinator i've been a head coach i think 28 years but i've never been a coordinator uh i wasn't chasing coordinator jobs my big focus and my advice to coaches out there, and especially young coaches, is when you get out of college, go find the best high school or the best coach possible that you can work for. And it doesn't matter what level, where he is, and learn from that guy and learn everything you can. Learn the good, learn the bad. Really, really look for that guy that's a special coach, the guy that can teach you and that you can observe and watch. And that's just exactly what I try to do. There was something instinctual when I started looking at, at trying to find my first job. I really felt like I was interviewing them. I wanted to work for the best coach I could because I wanted to learn. And I didn't care about my title. I didn't care about the level. I just wanted to be a great coach. And I wanted to learn from great coaches. And I just sort of intuitively knew that when I got interviewed by Henry Manning at Dell City, I wanted to go to Texas because that's sort of, I don't want to offend anybody out there, but that's sort of the Mecca high school 
football coaches, and, and uh, I interviewed with several guys in Texas. But when I interviewed there at Dell City, Coach Manning had been in Texas. He ran a similar program to the way you ran programs in Texas, and I thought I could learn a lot from him. And I really, really did. And I'd been there for about two or three years, and I started looking around and trying to figure out who, who's someone else. I wanted to learn more about the passing game, so I sort of looked around in the Oklahoma City area and Oklahoma Texas and, and uh, the guy that was probably the guru at that time was a guy named Mike Little. He had quarterbacks at OU, quarterbacks at USC. I mean, he was throwing the ball around when a lot of people weren't throwing the ball. And so I had a friend on the staff and I just said, listen, I will do anything over there. If there's an opening, I want to go to work for Mike Little. And he called me up about two years later and he said, hey, there's an opening. And I, long story short, I went to work for him. And then you get in that situation and, and I just tried to be a sponge. I tried to learn every possible thing that I could from how he ran the program, the X's and O's, and listening to how we debated offense and defense and the kicking game, things like that. And I think that's the best advice I can give anybody, especially young coaches, just go work for the best guy possible, learn from him, and then have put 100% effort into it, but just sort of look around and, and try to find two or three guys that you can work for before you make that jump to head coach, because I worked for three great coaches that were totally, totally different in how they approached the job of being a head football coach. And it's, it's helped me greatly, I think, in, in, in the career that we've had to, to be able to have that kind of background with three different guys. And I think that's, you know, I've heard that advice before to, to really focus on who you're going out and learning from early in your career instead of chasing the title I think that's a a great recommendation because it's so important to your development as a coach and really can make or break a career as you get into it as a young guy and obviously you've learned some from some great coaches and as you learn you start to develop your coaching philosophy and sculpt you know those bits and pieces into something that fits for you coach what's become your philosophy as a coach that's a long that could be a long answer but What's really interesting about it is as a player, I love playing football. I just love playing football. I started playing in third grade. I played all the way through my senior year of college until, like I said, I, I got injured there at the end. But what's interesting is, and I've heard some of the other coaches that you've had on your podcast, a lot of times one of the reasons that they coach is because they had great coaches and they wanted to sort of emulate them. My my story's really different. And I had so many bad coaches. <laughs> I thought there's got to be a better way to do this because I love the game so much. And, I, and it was also different times, and, and I understand that. I'd say the best football coach I had was a guy that coached me between third and sixth grade. His name's Hamer Prestige in Duncan, Oklahoma. He owned a janitorial supply company, and he was awesome. He was the best coach ever. He was enthusiastic, and he loved us, and he screamed and yelled and jumped up and down. He's enthusiastic, and he just had a huge passion for the game of football. And I'm so glad that I had him first because some of the next couple coaches that I were just the opposite, but it was a different time. Uh, they didn't think so much about, you know, grabbing you by the face mask and kicking your rear and uh, slapping you upside the head and call you bad names and things like that. It was, and I just, I know when I got kicked in the rear and when I got my face mask shook and then I got sort of a forearm shiver to the chest by a coach, I just knew there's a better way to motivate because I know how I felt when that happened to me. And I, and so if you say, what's your philosophy? 
a lot of my philosophy is based on don't coach like that. <laughs> Try to be a, obviously be a role model and be a, a great example to the kids. Be enthusiastic, have fun with what you're doing, enjoy the kids, you know, sort of enjoy the journey. And I'm I'm probably as bad a grinder as there is out there in, in some ways, but I think that any kid that that has played for us over the long period of time will say that that they know I love the game and I love being there and I love being with them. And I, and I think that if, you know, you'd ask our players uh, what they would put on my tombstone when I'm gone, and they'd probably say it's a beautiful day in the wood because every time I see the kids, whether it's rain, snow, sleet, gloom, night or day, you know, if they say, if they say, how you doing? I just say it's a beautiful day in the wood. And I think that they sort of get that, but it also builds a mentality. When you talk about philosophy, it built a mentality of we're going to play football in the weather. It's not like basketball where, you know, you're in a gym, there's no wind, no rain, no snow, and you sort of create that mentality. It's always a beautiful day if you get to play football. And, and uh, that would be that. I think if you just say number one philosophy – I started coaching in 78, 79, something like that. I was a head coach in 1986 for the first time. And I look back at one of my first player manuals that I, I passed out. And our priorities that that we have on our player's manual has not changed. And I, I believe that's been the one constant that we've had all the way through this 38 years or so. And that is I, I put the priorities right there on front of the, of the policy because it's the most simple way to make decisions because if you have your priorities in order, which I don't all the time, I'm still working at it, but when you have your priorities in order, it makes all the decisions after that easier. And the priorities that we have in our program are God Church, number two is family, three is academics, four is football, and number five is everything else. So every decision that we make, we, we have to, we can just refer back to our priorities. You know, a kid comes to me and he says, hey coach, I'm going to miss practice on Wednesday. And I say, okay, why? Are you going to miss practice on Wednesday and, he's, and then he tells me why and I in all you in my brain, all you do at that point is say, well, John, let's let's look at our priority list. And you sign this, your parents signed it, we're all on the same page. Where does this fit into your priorities and, and to that list? And if it's a if it's a church thing, if it's a family thing, if it's an academic thing, then we can understand why they're going to miss practice or whatever. But if it's not, that's it. You know, one of the things that I think we struggle with as coaches is, is making those decisions. Well, how do you handle people that are absent? How do you handle people that are late? And, and things like that. And it just made it simple to me. When you put your priorities on that sheet of paper, the parents sign it, the kids sign it. We do it twice a year just to make sure that we, you know, we're constantly, you know, updating and, and making sure everybody knows where we're at and what we, you know, what our beliefs are. It, it makes things just a lot easier. And then if you're, we handle it, as from an excused or unexcused basis. And I've often just scratched my head at coaches that sort of have a, a wavering policy or philosophy or set of priorities. And, and we're going to try to live to those priorities. The kid comes in and says, hey, I'm going to church, then that's never going to be an issue. Now, if he says I'm coming in to take a trip to Six Flags <laughs> with the church group, then we have a problem. I think if you have your priorities in order and you strive to live up to those priorities it makes things easier i believe you know i i'm a big believer in in joe Ehrman and the message that he's putting out and in, with inside out coaching and jeffrey marks books season of life and that if our purpose in high school football is not to change the lives of young men 
through the game of football, then, oh, my goodness, we wasted a lot of time. I think it just has to be – that has to be our driving number one thing. Not fight it myself, I just tell you, because I love the game itself so much, and, and honestly, we love to win. And uh, we fight ourselves, and we – constantly have to look at ourselves and, and look into our own hearts and minds and souls and make sure that we're doing things uh, the right way because we want to win. <laughs> right. uh, we spend time and effort and energy and focus and and uh, all the energy towards not only winning games but also trying to develop young men. And if we're not doing that, then we're, we're really missing the mark. I, I believe in, in the long run we'll be held accountable in a negative way in that, for that. Coach, you have a, a great outlook that this all starts with a great attitude, and I think when the person at the top, the attitude is, you know, it's a beautiful day in the wood, like you said, you're going to start to to have a, an easier time building that type of culture because obviously you want a positive attitude emanating through the program. But what things specifically do you do as a coach and as a staff to build that culture within your team? There's a ton of stuff that we do, and I think that when I went to work for a uh, John Lance, who was the head coach at Edmond High School, and when I went over there in 1985, he's the guy that sort of changed my thinking in, in a lot of different ways. He introduced me to the One Minute Manager, a great book by Ken Blanchard. He was a guy that was sort of pressing the edge of the envelope when it comes to mental training and things like that, and he sort of got me thinking in different ways. But I think the biggest thing that affects culture is, is how do you treat people? I think when kids walk in that locker room, you know, when they see in the halls, I think that the culture is, is culture is built every second of the day, either either negatively or, or positively. And I think the biggest thing is just how you treat kids. That's the number one thing. When we when we go to a new job, I sit down with the staff and it's about a two week I think about a two week training process and just how we treat people. Just basic things and how we treat kids. What what is gonna be our response to the the way that we deal with kids. I, I always thought it was interesting when I first got to this job, there there were signs all over the field house, players can't go here, players not. I just thought it was sort of a harsh environment for players. They wanted the players to walk around to the back of the building instead of coming in the front of the building because that's where the coach's office were or that's where the coach's office was. I down and took down all those signs. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm taking down these signs. They said, well, you don't want the players in here, do you? And I said, why not? Why would I not want players in the coach's office? I, I want them in here. I want them in here. I want them to feel comfortable in here. I want to be able to, when they when they get out of school, they walk right, right down the middle of the coach's office. That's fine with me. The way we're set up in our new building, that's the way it is. I want them to walk through the office. I want them to I want to look them in the eye. I want to see if their head's down. It looks like they might have had a bad day or if they have a smile on their face. And I want to have – it's just another opportunity to interact with kids. And I, I just think sometimes when I go to a place and I see all these signs, players knock, and, and it just seems like it's a – it just doesn't seem like a very good – atmosphere and uh, I want our kids to love coming out to the field house I want them to love it in the locker room I want that to be a refuge if nothing else for some of these kids that don't have a better place and uh, and I think that's where culture starts it, it starts in how do you treat people 
how do you treat those players? How do you treat the great players? How do you treat the worst players on the team? How do you talk to players? I, I mean, I'm probably different than a lot of guys, but and this is how this is how I equate it. I I believe that I ought to treat these guys that co- that play with us or play for us with a certain amount of respect, and that means when I say when I want them to go get a dummy, for instance, I say, would you please go get the dummy, or would you please go do this, or you would please. I, I use please and thank you. I believe that models the behavior, but also believe it shows a certain amount of respect. You're out here busting it for us, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and maybe agree weather, and and you, I want I want you to be treated with respect. And and it, now here's the difference: is that if my child is walking into the traffic, I'm not going to say, Johnny, would you please turn around and stop? I'm going to, you know, anybody, anybody that's watched us practice, we scream and yell and jump up and down and throw our caps. And, and I mean, we're coaching hard and we're getting <laughs> after it. But in those quiet times, in those different times, you know, I want to open the door for the kids when they're coming in the building. I want to, I'm going to say, please, I'm going to say, thank you. I'm going to let them know that we appreciate, you know, what they do to, you know, we wouldn't have a job if we didn't have football players. I tell people all the time, they didn't hire, they didn't hire coaches first. You know, there has to be some, we have to coach these guys. These are our guys. We we need to be thankful and appreciative. In fact, these guys want to play football. How awesome is that? Yeah. And as a result, these guys wanting to play football, we get paid to coach. That's an awesome thing. That, that's a that's a fantastic thing. And I and I think sometimes that we have it backwards, but we're going to try to treat our kids with respect. Now, anybody that's coached with me or, or been around there, they they'll probably scratch their head because we coach hard now. I mean, but we're not going to we're not going to touch them in anger, and we're going to try not to be abusive in in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But we are going to coach them hard. We're going to challenge them. We're going to challenge their manhood. <laughs> We're going to challenge their ability to withstand pain and, and suffering and, and all the things that football coaches do to try to make them better men. But I think when you have at your core, we're trying to make these guys better men. I think that's part of it. But I think that the, the culture is built, number one, in just how you treat people. But we have a lot of different ways that we uh, that we try to install or instill uh, our culture. We we have a, a we adopt the pup program because when the freshmen come over after Christmas, the way we're set up here, freshmen come into the locker room after Christmas and start off season, and they then you know we actually call them sophomores, junior seniors, you know, right? And and we have an older player adopt a younger player so that uh, they don't. There's sort of an intimidation factor. I always felt. Sophomore year of high school was the hardest year of my life. And uh, a lot of it had to do with the way the seniors abused us in the locker room. And, uh, you know, and I, I just never wanted our kids to feel that way. I, you create a family atmosphere, then I want those guys, when they come in there, to be taken care of and be treated with respect. And, and I'll assign an older player to every younger, every young player, every new guy coming up, to, and that's his guy. That's his guy. He takes he takes a special interest in him. He tells him what it means to be a bulldog. He gives him some special, you know, time and attention just so that he knows if he needs a ride or something like that. Uh, we that's why we had the program. And I think it it sort of nips the hazing and all that other stuff in the bud. Mm-hmm. And it also is good for our older players because they're 
number one job is to take care of that guy. And and if the guy's not at practice, I'm going to say, hey, where's you know where's where's John? That's your guy, and that's your guy. And uh, if if there's any kind of issues at all, I just I want him to take responsibility, and it's part of developing the culture there in the locker room. And and that goes back to like I say, some horrible times that I had when <laughs> when I was a player myself, going into going into a locker room and not wanting to not wanting to be there very long. I think that uh, the way that we uh, we do the uh, a float trip with the seniors and their dad, we go up the Illinois River and normally we spend the night and we do a trust walk and and we do the the sticks and we we have a time where we we'll eat a great meal and then we just sit around and and we talk about uh, the boys will tell their dad their best day as a son and the dads will tell their son their best their most proud moment as a dad and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful thing that for the seniors and their dads we do the moms 101 like a lot of people do we we coach the moms up we uh, bring them in and we have a quiz we have a basic football knowledge quiz that i don't know how the moms are everywhere else but our moms cheat like crazy they're unbelievable and uh on the on the quiz and then we break up into our position group and then we coach the moms up and we go through a warm-up and we go through a practice and we try to give them an idea of what it's like and what we are doing with their sons and, and the amount of time that we spend we go out and then we practice with the moms they wear their son's jersey Jersey. They they play their son's position, and uh, we coach them up for about thirty minutes, about a thirty minute practice, and, and that's something they've really done. Had has a good time. We have uh, we have what we call dog pals, where we send the kids out to the elementary schools, and they they give them. And I give our kids topics about uh, it might be the first. We do it at least twice during the season. It, sometimes three times. It just sort of depends. We just go out to the elementary schools and. Uh, we talk about making good decisions and doing well in school and things like that. We'll go out the first day of school and open car doors for the first graders or kindergartners coming into the first day of school, things like that we've done that I think really helps to, to build a kind of culture that you have. We have a, what we call a squads. Once we get to about 90, we have about 116 kids in the program right now. When you get that many kids in the program, I think it's hard to everybody get to know each other so we divide our team into eight squads we have eight coaches including myself at the high school level and we do a lot of stuff with our squads um and the squads are, are made up of seniors juniors sophomores backs linemen great players not so great players i try to just divide them up in a cross section uh, the best i possibly can I, we put a lot of responsibility on the squad leaders uh, the squad leaders are responsible for roll call we sort of file in at attention when we start practice it's not just straight up like a military standing at attention but they're in a straight line and the squad leaders Leaders are responsible for roll call and things such as that. We will do times where we'll have the squads meet and discuss what we call questions. And it's just really an opportunity for them to get to know each other better. We'll have at least four squad dinners during the season in which they'll go to one of the squad members' house. And the coach will have a list of questions that I give them that just, you know, simple stuff like in two minutes, give, you know, describe your background, your family, you know, what you like, what you don't like. They just, it's a two minute life story and we just get an idea to you know share
share with each other and get to know each other on a, on a little bit different basis. Our managers and trainers are in the squads well so that we include everybody. We try to have, we try to make it as, you know, everybody wants to throw around the word brotherhood, but I don't know exactly what that looks like sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we, we want our guys to have a sense of being able to know somebody and, and get to know them in a little bit different way than they would normally. Uh, one of the things I think's been really cool, uh, we did last year, we had seven Marines come in and did a three-day boot camp. And it was uh, three days, but it was during the first three days of our official practice, and they did about an hour and a half. Of we can practice three hours, and they did about an hour and a half boot camp with our kids. I thought that was a great thing. And once again, we did it by squad so that our squad leaders had to decide who was doing certain things. And it gives kids an opportunity to uh, to show some leadership. I think it's easy for coaches, and I get tickled when I – I hear this from time to time, but I'll hear coaches say, well, we didn't have any, we didn't have any leadership. Well, why do they hire coaches? I, if, if I have a team of 100 kids and our best leader on a scale of 1 to 10 is a 6 out of 10, then if I can make him an 8, then I've coached him. Um, but if he's a 6 and stays a 6, then what am I doing? Am I not a coach? I, I just had that philosophy about nearly everything we do. If you call yourself a coach, then coach him up, and it might be – a two, you can make a four, or a two, you can make a three, but have a plan and try to figure out a way to do that. And the squad gives us that opportunity. Even when we sit in our film room, they sit with their squads, they, and the squad leader is sort of responsible for them. That's been one of the things that I think has really helped us. I think in terms of establishing a work ethic, a culture of, of effort and work and attitude, I, what we call fast dogs, it's a our training program in the summer mm-hmm. it starts in July. We go grades 3 through 12, boys and girls. Uh, we have our volleyball team does it. Our, over the years, our basketball team's done it with us. Our, our baseball team has done it. It, it is a training program. It's a four-week training program that uh, we've done. We base it. We try to base it upon things that Geno Pierce is doing with the performance course there in Dallas area, Texas area. Geno and I go back a long way, but we're trying to get our football team ready for practice. But we work the third through twelfth grades. They come at different times. We have different sessions, and it's given us a great opportunity in this town that we live in to work with our younger kids and get to know these guys that are playing youth football and, and doing things like that. Uh, last year, I think we had 550 kids in our in our summer program, and that's not, you know, some of them are football players. Some of them are, you know, the majority of them are just people that want to, uh, you know, try to improve their speed and, and uh their athleticism over that short period of time. I think that's a big thing that's helped us. Every week, I assign a coach a theme for every game. We hope to play 14 games uh, here in Arkansas. And so I will assign our seven assistant coaches two weeks during the season. And we set a theme for the year. This year, our theme was finish. And we set up some specific ways that we graded films to make sure that they were finishing every play and we graded every play based on finish. And then every week we had a theme that we would try to tie into being able to finish what we were doing. And, uh, and it might be, you know, a little bit, it, it might be fight or it might be guts or, or some, you know, short word or phrase. And we talk about that word all week long. And then on Thursday, we play on Friday nights here mm-hmm. on Thursday. 
Thursdays, we have our, our walkthrough practice, which is a little bit different. It's not really a walkthrough. Kids would get a kick out of that if they thought we'd call that a walkthrough. <laughs> but uh, we would uh, we go out and do our, our practice, and then we'll uh, do study hall for kids that don't have a three-pointer better. The other guys can sort of run around and do whatever they want to, and then we'll have either a team dinner or a squad dinner. We'll either meet as a team at a church and have dinner and have a speaker and divide up into our our squads and do questions, or we'll go to a squad member's house and have dinner and then divide up and have, have what we call questions. We just sit in a circle, and, and we have questions, and just an opportunity to try to get to know each other a little bit better. And then we either go the junior high plays, the ninth grade plays on Thursdays here in Arkansas. So we'll go to the junior high game, and then about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, we'll meet, all meet back at the field house and have what we call theme night. And uh, the coaches who's assigned for that week will present a uh, you know, anywhere from a 20 to a 40-minute motivational message about the theme of the week. And and our kids love Thursdays. They love themes. They they love the team dinners. They just they enjoy. They really enjoy that time. And I think it builds a great culture for us as well. I think one of the things that has helped our culture is put a ping pong table in in the locker room. I know that sounds silly to a lot of people out there, but a couple of years ago we made a what we call a reading area where we have some books and. And a TV and a PlayStation and, and three couches, sort of in the. We have a big, huge locker room. We're very blessed here, but we we created a study area over there, which is really more of a lounge, I guess you could say. And then we we got enough room. We put a ping pong table in there, and our kids love. You know, they've gotten where they love playing ping pong and coming in there before practice and after practice. And and we usually have to run them out at night. But I don't. I think a lot of our kids don't have a good place to go. And I think a locker room, being around other kids and coaches, is, is a great place to be if if they don't have a better place to go. And so we're trying to make it as player friendly as possible. But I think that's helped our culture and just the way we get along. And old kids are playing young kids and linemen are playing backs and it's just another way to create a positive culture on the team. I think that uh, we, we've done several different things. Uh, we have a left behind box where before the last possible game of the year, uh, all the seniors will stand up in front of their teammates and leave an, a small item of themselves behind and they put it in the box and they give they give their own little speech of uh, this is why I'm putting this item in the box box and this is why it means something to me and I and I keep it from all these years and because uh, I want the kids to have a sense that not only do you receive but you also give and, and every kid leaves something he leaves something good or something bad or, or something in the neutral range to our program that every kid is important every single player uh, makes us better or doesn't and I think that's I think that's something just a little thing that we do I think in terms of culture nothing's more important than work mm-hmm. and we are I am I guess I ought to say nuts about words uh, we have banished some words from the vocabulary of all Greenwood Bulldogs we can't use the H word around here Keith yeah, that's the word that starts with H, ends with T, and has O in the middle. We just that word is not in our vocabulary. Now, we had a day. Uh, I was telling you earlier, we had a day a couple years ago. It was 113 degrees. Now it's it's, it's not really that bad. I mean, that was a world record. You know, <laughs> that was like two the day before practice started. It was like, oh my goodness. And we have the heat rules and all that that I'm sure everybody has all over the place. But we're not going to use that word. We don't use the H word. Uh, 
they can say calefficient. They can say warm. Uh, they can say uh, it's a it's a really nice day today, but they're not going to use the H word. I, I just think it's an excuse. It's 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 a word that has become used for not doing your best, and so we're not going to give those kids the opportunity to say that word. We're not going to say can't. There's no response uh, possible in which our players will respond back to us. I can't. Um, that's not going to happen. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa you can't. And then they'll, use, well, they'll have to come up with at least something like, well, at this point in my life, I am not able to, or something along that line. I, I just think words are, what's really interesting is that as a, when you played, I bet you can remember conversations you had with your coach, your high school coach, your junior high coach, sometimes word for word, especially if they were negative. Yes. I remember, I remember things that my coach told me that, you know, long story short, I got a, I broke two old helmets. They were probably up. 40 years old and they finally put a new helmet on me and I'm walking out to practice and I'm so excited I have a nice new football helmet and I heard the head coach say $42 helmet 42 cent player oh. you, know, you remember stuff like that I mean it didn't run my life but it's something that I haven't you know <laughs> I remember and uh, that was part of his sense of humor as well as I look back <laughs> I'm not sure as a sophomore in high school <laughs> I played uh, coach's sense of humor but I, I think words are so important and, and you give kids excuses I, the, the old country joke around here is that if I go into the locker room of 100 boys and told them they were pregnant 50 of them would be swollen up the next morning <laughs> uh, that's the way it is you plant seeds in kids head with every word you say you're bad and I and the coaches that work with us will just they'll tell you I'm not I'm crazy I, I I want to make sure that we have the right message at every single opportunity we're not going to use the wrong words we're not going to say can't we're not going to use the h word we're not going to have any derogatory slur or word that can be construed to be uh, offensive to anybody and uh, I just think that words are so important and we don't if we don't spend time talking about it as a staff then I, I don't think that we're going to uh, we're going to miss the mark and use bad words that that are negative that don't send the message that we want to send we don't use profanity and I don't think that's I mean some great coaches do some we choose not to and uh, I just I don't think it helped me as a player to get cussed out and I don't have any desire to have a player feel the way that I felt when when I had that type of language used me so we're not going to do it and uh, I think that as much as anything to create a culture uh, consistent standards we just have a few basic rules and if you violate those rules you get the punishment that that's in the rule book and and we really don't have a whole lot of uh, issues along that line because the best players and the worst players for the most part as much as humanly possible we're trying to treat the same i always i heard lou holt say one time that uh, on the field you treat players according to their their place on the depth chart and off the field you treat them the same i think that's a really true uh, goal to have in a program if you want to have positive culture but i I think the thing that helps culture as much as anything is just the way you treat the kids when they walk in the door i think that's where it starts i think that you can't treat kids like like crap 23 hours a day and then sit around and do a kumbaya session and and expect things to be you know expect the culture to be the way you want it to be 
uh, I have a little card in my desk that uh, I remind myself from time to time, and it's, I must constantly guard against the drift. I think as a head coach, I must constantly guard against the drift because culture is not static. It is always moving. It is always changing. It can blow up in a New York second. Right. And I think you have to always guard against the drift. And you, anything that affects your culture, you got to be willing to confront it. you got to be willing to take care of it and address it. And I think that's what gets a lot of us in trouble. And it's got me in trouble on many, many occasions just when I, I didn't do a good enough job guarding against the drift. And I think that's that's really one of the keys to establishing the culture. That's, we, we have a lot of programs and stuff that we do that I think helps our culture but i think the main thing is how do you treat kids how do you talk to the kids how do you interact with the kids when you're not on the field when you're on the field and 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 i think that's the number one thing do the kids really believe you care i mean how can you not have a positive culture if you have a bunch of kids that know their coaches love them and care about them and want to make a better bit i just i think that's the bottom line when we have kids quit it just it breaks my heart because i think we're the best thing out there and uh but it also tells me that if they quit, there's either one of three reasons. They were, you know, you could just say they're lazy bums or they did not connect with the coaches or vice versa, or they did not connect with their teammates or vice versa. And I mean, those are the only, it really only boils down to those three, three things. Or every once in a while, you'll have one that that has to make a decision based on, uh, you know, a, a, a choice where I had a kid the other day said he's going to play in the band. Well, our band period is the same time as athletic period, so our kids have to make a choice. And I, and I really hate that because I, I think it's cool for kids to do a lot of different things, but we try not to uh, make them make choices like that. So that let them do as many things as they can. But I think that the you know culture is a throwaway word now. Everybody uses it. But yeah. I think they have a hard time trying to put their fingers around how do you create the kind of culture that gives you a chance to win football games and uh and i think that i'll just say it now for the third time it's how do you treat those kids I mean, how do you treat them do you do you treat them in a way that they they understand that they're we we have to understand the sacrifice we're lucky <laughs> i mean we are lucky these kids want to play football and go out there in 100 degree weather and run into each other in this day and time especially there's a lot of alternatives out there and i just not we're going to work them hard and we're going to expect a lot out of them and we're going to drive them and push them and coach the fire out of them i think bottom line you want to have a great culture you got to have that you got to have that burning desire to make a better man like i say joe herman and, and what he's trying to do and and others liking this they give us great great opportunity to just pull the pull the spotlight back a little bit and sort of see where we're at and i think that's it that's the thing well coach you mentioned a lot of great things there and obviously thank you for uh, the detail in that answer and i know we probably could do several shows on on things you do to build culture we'll be back tomorrow to close out 2021 with the second part of this interview with Rick Jones. And I think it's an appropriate way to end the year, to give us some hope moving forward that if all of us can do our jobs with the care and the love that Rick Jones put into it, I think we'll all have the opportunity to continue to make a difference in coaching.